My guest today has held senior level go-to-market leadership roles at companies including Microsoft, Accenture, Adobe, Salsify, and now Amplify. Over the years, we've been lucky enough to support his win-loss program efforts. And no matter the company, there are always two pillars to his go-to-market strategy. Understand the customer way better than anyone else, and understand the competition better than they understand you. Vijay Gupta is the Chief Growth Officer at Amplify. He possesses exceptional strategic skills, and what truly captivates me about his perspective on win-loss research is his emphasis on embracing change from the very beginning. And I couldn't think of a better way to kick off Season 3 of Blind Spots than with Vijay. I'm your host, Ryan Sorley, Vice President of Win-Loss at Clue and founder of Double Check Research. And it is my pleasure to share with you the Season 3 premiere of Blind Spots with my guest and friend, Vijay Gupta, powered by the Compete Network. Vijay, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, connect with us today on, on this episode of Blind Spots. We've known each other for quite a long time, working together at various companies, so we feel really honored and privileged to have you be here today. So thanks so much. And thank you for having me, Evan. It's so great to see you again, and so great to get a chance to talk to you about all things win-loss. I believe that's what we're going to do uh, that's over right. the next uh, few minutes. So. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about like your relationship with win-loss information and you know, as you work with leadership teams within the organizations that you've been part of and board meetings, like how does win-loss, what's your relationship with win-loss? How does it fit into your life? I have throughout my career have been lucky enough to have uh, go-to-market leadership roles in companies such as you know Microsoft, Accenture, Adobe, Solsify, and now at Amplify. And when I think about a go-to-market strategy, two of the key pillars of that strategy is, number one, to understand the customer way better than anyone else does. And the uh, second part is to understand the competition way better than the competition understands you. And the reason reason I bring those two pillars up, Ryan, is because when we think about win-loss, it's not the analysis or the interview or the or the or the information that's coming in what you're trying to glean from that is what is it that i now understand about my customers more than what i did before and what is it that i understand about my competition more than what i did before and when i talk about understanding customers what we are talking about are things like why do they buy what do they buy you know if they buy who do they buy from what did what did they like in the process? What were the things that they are telling us that we should be better at and paying attention to that? And at the same time, when I'm, when I'm talking about competition, it's less about focusing on individual competitors and it's more about understanding what are the options that the competition is offering to the prospect or the customer or the client, which we can learn from, which we can, uh, you know, in some cases, shamelessly copy and just get better, better than them. Uh, and also, when I talk about competition, I don't only mean competition in terms of other companies that you are competing with. It's also the competition that comes from internal friction within a prospect or client or the internal inertia to not do anything. Because sometimes in win-loss interviews, that comes out, that they chose not to do anything. And then you realize 
that your real competition was not some other vendor or some other software company. It was the client themselves and their desire to maintain status quo. So when you do win-loss analysis and when you think about GTM strategy, I think the win-loss analysis becomes a very critical input into helping companies get way better at understanding customers as well as way better at understanding competition. And that makes them stronger. That makes them more informed. That makes them a lot more focused on things that matter to the market uh, and make, makes them you know, stronger in the, in the medium and long run. I love how you broke that out. So uh, clearly, when we when we talk about win loss, you know, there's business drivers, selection criteria, product feedback, pricing, sales execution, and then competitions in there. But what I heard from you is that you kind of separate the two to a certain degree and hold that um, kind of in a, in a slightly different lens, which is which is really fascinating. And you know, it's it's funny. We, I was having a conversation recently with a, a program owner um, that you know, actually, at, a, at another company, and he was mentioning to me that they get, you know, th their goal is not like super rich with, with the competitive intelligence. It's more about that customer experience side, while other organizations, like they want as much competitive intelligence as, as possible. So it's, you know, it's turning these knobs, like, well, what is it that's special about your program? And why is it special now? Like, and will it change in the future? Will, will your focus change? So have you, have you seen more of kind of a consistent approach to win-loss where you're looking at collecting the same data quarter over quarter and kind of comparing and contrasting over time? Or are you more you know, focused on more of an agile program that might be changing focus over time based on maybe what you learned in the previous research period. So how do you how do you think about that piece? It's a great angle in terms of, you know, looking at it from the perspective of uh, keeping it consistent or or make, you know, keeping it more flexible. And uh, what I have noticed and what I have worked with in the past is uh, an approach where when you launch a win loss analysis program, you you know, you spend enough time in structuring it to cover parts that you, you know, really want to cover and that are important for your business. And again, it, I'll go back to in terms of understanding the customer and in terms of understanding the uh, the competition, then being open to make minor tweaks. And the reason, reason I'm saying that is because one of the things that I have found useful through win-loss analysis is the trending trending of topics, trending of insights in terms of why we are winning, why we are losing, what you know, what's the competition doing, what's you know, how's the buying process. And if if those things are not consistent, it's very difficult to put the information that's coming out from wind loss in context. Because in many times the answers that you want to get to in terms of actions that you want to take might not be an absolute. So for example, you know, you can have an absolute like I want to improve my win rate by you know, five percent, and I'm just making it up right now. But that can be an absolute target, and that's that's you know that's essential that you know you're kind of putting a target like that. But when you work backwards from there, you might realize that some of the changes might not be measurable in absolutes, like you know how the salespersons were very effective. You know how 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 the customer liked to engage or the prospect liked to engage with the salesperson. It's very difficult to put a number to that. Right. But what you want is, at an aggregate, you want more customers to say, whether you won the deal or you lost the deal, they had a great experience engaging with you. 
you want to kind of trend you want to see the trend either moving up or remaining consistent not get worse in terms of customer saying uh, you know they have loved engaging with with the sales team and the demo was good etc so fundamentally where the value that that i have found is being able to then structure it that way getting the insights which are not necessarily always absolute but they are showing you the trends in which case i have personally always inclined towards keeping it as consistent as possible so that you can get enough data points to look at the trends while being open to uh, you know making tweaks so I, I, an an example i'll give you from one of my you know previous um, experiences of doing this was as we heard more comments about what the customers were looking for in the solution that we were not providing we started to make those questions a lot more pointed so that we can understand what exactly is it that we are not doing that someone else is doing and those questions came from the product team as as a part of the 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 interview that was conducted for for the wind loss so so that kind of allowed us to make the tweak but we did not change the full structure of the wind loss analysis the questions sure. the sections the the way we were collecting the data so i i am a you know if if there are two camps i am in the camp of keeping it consistent by starting with you know with a thoughtful approach uh, and making minor tweaks as you as you go along the way one exception to this has been in my career where if the company that you're working for and and this has happened multiple times in my career acquires another company and you have another product set to work on in that case you go back and relook at the entire you know win loss questionnaire and the, and the structure and figure out how do you incorporate the new offering without elongating the overall conversation because sure. you, you still want you know want to be respectful of someone's time so so those are you know those are some of the thoughts that that come to mind and hopefully that kind of resonates with a lot of the work that you have done in the space in terms of how other executives you know approach this yeah you know we it's almost like a pyramid for us and uh, uh, the if it was a three level pyramid three tiers the top tier would be the one that kind of switches quarter over quarter as as needs change but the bottom two stay consistent so you're able to see that trend analysis but then test new hypotheses um at the same time so yeah that that totally aligns to to how we think about it when you, when you think about scale for win loss programs so you know you've worked for some really large companies over the years and thousands tens of thousands of of transactions like how do you how do you look at win loss at scale do you do you think that there's a place for online surveys in in kind of a win loss program are you more apt to lean into maybe a smaller sample size of interviews do you feel like they're both as reliable or that one's more reliable or invaluable than the other what what is your your view on on that having tried all of those Yeah. working with working with you Ryan in the past uh, haven't tried all of those then my observation has been that uh, it depends on the customer set that you are working with or the prospect set instead of me making the decision what will work uh, what i have found useful is to go to market with both the options and see what the customer the prospect set is responding with or or what they are reacting to better because what i've found is it's not a function of the size of the organization it's more of a function of the customers that you're working with or the prospects that you are targeting and how much they are open to reacting to providing you with the right feedback 
uh, especially if it's a loss, because if it's a loss, they have no reason to you know, spend time to explain to you. So especially if it's a loss, are they open to it? So I haven't seen a correlation with the size of a company in terms of scale because, you know, we have tried surveys and interviews in smaller companies as well as surveys and interviews in larger companies. I haven't kind of found uh, found specific correlation. Now, have, having said that, I think purely by the uh, structure of a interview-based mechanism, it's very difficult to scale because the number of hours that you can do an interview, number of people that you can put on the ground to do that, even if you have external help. So, so there is within an interview-based process and a survey-based process, I think there is an inherent you know, level built in in terms of where the interview-based process might not scale, which essentially means that you have to be selective about the kind of target, you know, customers that 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 you want to interview for win, win or loss, while the rest you go with with surveys. And, you know, we have also targeted surveys which are longer, shorter, etc. So you can always do A-B testing to figure out what kind of resonates with, with customers. But it's usually a combination of two. Usually a combination of two. Uh, is is what uh, I have found useful rather than rely on, you know, one or the other. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's that's uh, consistent with our experience as well. I think that there there's only so many people you can interview and there's only so many interviews you can review, right? But if you have this long tail of opportunities, collecting some intelligence from them uh, is a lot of people lean into that. I think the challenge. However, with surveys, you could argue is, you know, how the question is written. Is it really super clear to the person responding? Is there a survey fatigue going on? Do they just press, you know, the, the five button all the way down because they were they just wanted to get through to the end? So yeah, it's something that we're exploring and we, you know, we we do a combination of both today, but um always curious for for a perspective on that. When you think about your roles uh, in the boardroom, like if you were to take me into a boardroom meeting, that's maybe a quarterly meeting with investors, and you know you're being asked to report out on you know go to market activity. How do you leverage win loss in those types of situations, and what type of response do you typically get if you leverage it? Of course, um, sure. in the boardroom, yeah. Sure. So, so uh, in one of the companies I work with, uh, the CEO very regularly used win-loss analysis in um, their board presentations. And uh, typically what he chose to use was to give an indication of how that company was doing vis-a-vis other competition and how the customer sentiment was evolving based on what they were buying and what they were you know, saying they want to buy. And And, you know, this is something that you're very familiar with when you when you end up doing a very detailed win loss interview with with a lot of uh, you know rich information synthesizing that into from a board's perspective that they can understand more details around specific customer pain points for the software category where that company is is operating in and specific competitive pressure so not in general we are seeing competition from you know, three companies in this particular region. That's, you know, that's not very useful. But if you go down to the level of detail of in 20 deals that we evaluated or we did win-loss analysis of, we found in 13, it was competitor A. In, you know, in 15, it was competitor A and B. That starts to paint a lot more data-driven and informed picture about the intensity. Same on the customer side. 
you know, instead of generally saying, oh, customers are, you know, worried about price or customers are not, you know, not happy with our pricing. If you go to a level of detail where you say customers find our pricing complex to understand, which, by the way, was one of the findings in, in, in one of the win-loss, you know, analysis that we ran. So then the question that board will ask is, what's the complexity? And then you will say the complexity was that we have too many scalers in the pricing. And that causes a uh, you know, challenge for customers because we're asking them to figure out things about their business, which most likely is not what they're looking at every day. So we're asking for metrics that they don't either have an ability to measure or don't have an ability to even guesstimate. And we have based our pricing on that. So that causes a friction and that causes multiple, you know, to and fro conversations, email exchanges, etc. Yeah. So that kind of specificity provides a lot of richness to conversations in board meetings around here is the specifics that we are facing. Now, the thing with a board meeting is that you cannot just highlight what is happening. You have to then say, what are you doing on the back of that? Yeah. So if it's a pricing thing, you say we are looking at simplifying pricing. If it is, uh, you know, we are seeing additional competition here, you, you will say, you know what, we are going to look at how do we do a competitive takeout in, in those particular regions for that particular customer segment, etc. So you start to kind of not only use the win-loss as informational for the board, but also executional in terms of here is what we are doing and why we are doing it is because of this. Here is what we found. Yeah, that's fascinating, and it aligns well to uh, to my own personal board experience, where you you know you're presenting the data, right, and you're saying, okay, here are the challenges that we're having. Here's our action plan. But then you're also on the hook to come back to the board next quarter to show them the results that have uh, ensued as a result of the actions that that you're you're taking. So there's a real accountability measure there, which is which is quite awesome. So I, I guess if you were to think about that, like, okay, so pricing is confusing, we have to ch change something. Like what typically happens next? Are the, the functional leaders, the people who own those actions uh, and are ultimately responsible for managing any sort of change leading up to the next board meeting? Like what happens outside of the board meeting after that? So so I think before we get to what happens as an outcome of the board meeting, I think a lot depends on how the win-loss program is set up and how a cross-functional set of executives are already on board. Because if you start getting executives on board after you have launched the program, it's already too late because you're starting to you know, look at data that they might not fully either understand, comprehend, trust, uh, and then it becomes a massive... Uh, you know, issue of gaining their trust. So typically the way I have seen this work where it is more successful is when you are creating the program and you're rolling it out, you are explaining the process in details to the entire executive team up front. At that time, you are being very clear that I don't have data or output to show to you. But what I'm sharing with you is the robustness and the rigor of the process. And as long as you trust the process, you will start to trust the outcome. So that creates the foundation so that when the win-loss analysis throws either surprising findings or it you know, ratifies what already everyone knew at a high level but provides a level of detail that's actionable, nobody is going back and questioning the data or questioning the finding because they believe the process. And, and by the way, it doesn't happen in one presentation. You have to keep reminding everyone every time that the process was robust, it's built this way, 
it was built based on your input we have taken you know feedback from a cross functional team even before we embarked on 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 doing this so when all of that is done first time as well as on a regular basis when the outcome comes out let's say that we need to look at simplifying our pricing then the question becomes less of is that the right finding and more of okay who owns pricing is it product marketing is it product marketing and finance so here is a initiative or a project that we need to kick off on simplifying the pricing so then the person owning the pricing is essentially you know responsible for driving it through in terms of you know what level of simplification will be done is that a multi week project is it a multi month project uh, is it a simple project is it a large project etc but that project success depends on foundation that has been laid many many months back with articulating the the rigor and the robustness of the process so so that to me is is more critical and then you know depending on what the findings are you yeah. start to hand it off to a cross functional team Yeah. I love that uh as well. I I I couldn't agree with you more. Getting people to lean in up front and have some sort of sense of ownership in the program definitely helps it be uh become stickier and they also often will be looking for the things that they they brought up right during that discovery process where maybe the head of product is looking for something specific and that helps to maybe drive the program in a certain direction like maybe the program has a learning objective focused on that particular product question or questions Correct. um and the output will will include answers to those questions so i i i love that so one thing i'll i'll you know mention here is uh, because we are talking about board meetings and action taken on 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 the back of that uh, usually not usually i think this happens uh, all the time you don't get to a board meeting and get surprised about the action correct right so so what happens is even before the board meeting if let's say we have a finding on pricing or we have a finding on some, something to do with product because the product you know executive or the marketing executive has been part of the process of you know structuring the the win loss program there will be a mechanism to communicate back to them their slice of the findings so one of the things that me and my team have done in the past is based on the overall aggregated results we'll create a cut for the product team we'll create a cut for the marketing team we'll create a cut for finance or you know sales and share it with them so that it's not a surprise it's 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 customized to them so that they're not reading things which are not relevant to their area but reading things that are relevant to them it does take some effort absolutely it does take some effort but that small you know effort in personalizing the findings for each function gets them on board a lot more quicker and then when in a board meeting it comes up that hey we need to do something in pricing or we need to do something in terms of enabling our sales teams to have better conversations etc you know none of the executives are caught by surprise in fact they will quote the findings to say based on this we are going to be doing you know taking this action or we we plan to do this so, Love it. Well, uh that's that's another awesome insight and I uh, I guess I I know we're we're just out of time here, so I'm going to wrap it up with one question which you've already answered, but just to summarize, you know, if you're if you're uh speaking to people like you, chief strategy officers, CEOs within B2B tech companies, manufacturing companies, you know, like what advice would you give to them if they have 
not been involved in this type of a program before, like how should they get started? What are the tips that you would provide to them? Things to avoid, you know, what, what, what adv- sage advice would you would you provide to them? <laughs> well, I don't know whether sage advice or not, but uh, I can I can share some of the things that have that have worked for me, some of the things that haven't. The first thing I'll say is uh, I have not come across any executive that does not see value in Windows analysis. So the the articulation of value is not the problem. That hey, is it valuable or not? I think no executive will say that. Oh, I don't want to do win loss analysis. You know, that's that's completely useless. Nobody says that. I think where uh, where everyone's mind is at is how deep you go, how wide you go. You know, what do you do within that, and how do I create a system where the insights are actionable for me? I think that's where a lot of the gray area lies. And uh, what I have found is that investing in win loss uh, has always been. Way, way better than investing in many of the other initiatives in terms of getting an understanding of the customer, and getting an understanding of the of the of the competitor. And I keep going back to to that framework because that's how we kind of think about about you know win loss. So if executives are on the fence in terms of shall we create a structured program and run it like a program or you know shall we run it ad hoc, my first advice will be having done both. My first advice will be that if you don't run it in a structured way, then start now. You know there is no better time to do that because the ad hoc process kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Where because it is ad hoc, you don't get the value. Because you don't get the value, you don't want to make it structured. You know, well, properly invested program to 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 work with. So that's you know that's number one. I think I think there is uh, there is no better time if you don't have a structured program to start it than now. So that's that's number one. Number two thing is to provide the right kind of positioning of this program within the organization. Many times, a win loss program becomes one of the things that a junior PMM is doing, and wherever that happens, the value that you get from that program doesn't reach the executive suite. It's it's a lot more amplified in large organizations where the CEO never gets to see the win loss analysis because there's you know. Three junior PMMs doing that, rather than you know someone at a VP level or an SVP level actually owning that as a program. So you start to kind of you know not not get the value of it. It's it's less like that in in smaller companies because the hierarchy is flattened and you know some of that can make 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 its way up to the executive suite. So positioning the program appropriately is very very important in terms of where it sits, with whom it sits, what kind of name you give to it and how you communicate about it what kind of mechanism you use in terms of building a, a building a cadence to communicate about competitive intel as well as win loss so that it's not ad hoc it's not like oh when when i have some time i'll do that i'll conduct two interviews and i'll i'll send a summary out to you know two people in the company that model doesn't work so and i, I have learned the hard way because initially when i started to look at win loss we tried to optimize for bandwidth rather than for outcome available bandwidth ra- rather than for outcome which meant that essentially we ended up doing a bad job of it in terms of you know doing it very ad hoc and realizing that hey it's not working out only to realize that it's most likely a situation where you have to invest first before you harvest and you can't kind of build that harvesting by investing in on and off in 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 ad hoc 
time commitment and ad hoc resources so so that's the that's the that's the other thing that 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 that, that I'll mention the final thing that I'll mention in terms of uh, what what I have learned is if win loss analysis findings are not being actioned upon as projects that cross functional teams are undertaking then that win loss analysis won't have the impact that it needs to have or that it could have in the organization and the reason i'm calling that out that way is because anyone who owns the win loss analysis should not think of the outcome as a report that they are delivering they have to think of the outcome as the change that they will bring in the organization because of the finding of the win loss analysis the just the expanse of impact needs to be wide in terms of what the deliverable is then the deliverable is not a powerpoint deck a deliverable is a change in what was you know what was found in the org based on what the findings were and that's a that's a mindset unlock that does require you know leadership guidance as well as leadership uh, you know coaching for for people who are either doing it or or the team that is that is you know running it uh, or or even even you know the the executive that leads it has to think about it as a change driver rather than as a as another deliverable that will get created and will just get you know sent out and then you hope that change will take place it actually doesn't work that way uh, that that was amazing advice i couldn't have said it better myself and i feel like we need a part 2 episode of this because <laughs> you um you really get it which is which is amazing and and you know all of those points were were rock solid i think the point about the ownership of the program and not looking at it as kind of a a time saver to you know to outsource it or to to use a, a third party for the program but that that leadership level buy in and ownership and understanding and accountability um and actionable actionability if that's a word <laughs> <laughs> it's just so important and you get it uh full stop. So I really appreciate all of the uh, the time that you spent with us today. All of the great insight, every single word um you shared was was amazing. So um thanks VJ. It was really great to spend this time with you. Thanks so much for for joining. Thanks for having me, Ryan. The deliverable for win-loss programs is not a PowerPoint deck. It's the change you bring to the organization. I have not heard anyone encapsulate the value of win-loss analysis so concisely and eloquently. Then again, if anyone could do it, it is VJ. A big thank you to VJ for chatting with me today. Thank you to the Compete Network for powering this podcast. And don't forget to like, subscribe and tell a friend about this show. I'm your host, Ryan Sorley, wishing you many wins and we'll see you next time. The way the market looks today is not how it was yesterday. And spoiler alert, it'll be different tomorrow too. Hi, I'm Devin O'Rourke, founder and managing partner at Fluvio and the host of the Embracing Erosion podcast. On my show, we talk to product marketers, founders, investors, and go-to-market leaders to shine a light on what it takes to tackle difficult go-to-market challenges. How do you make decisions with speed and effectiveness? What makes for a great leader? And what are the most common go-to-market mistakes and how can you avoid them? Embracing erosion means embracing change, and you'll hear from some of the best in the business who know firsthand why embracing erosion is key to success. Join me, Devin O'Rourke, on the Embracing Erosion podcast, powered by the Compete Network. Music